0: Welcome to uh, Fuller Living Podcast, where we talk about narcissism and the war for the soul and provide hope when everything else seems so dim. I'm here today, Amber Fuller. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and uh, business owner, entrepreneur, um, business owner of Fuller Living Counseling. We provide services in Minnesota Indiana, Montana Wisconsin, Washington and Florida and um, I am sitting next to my husband Dylan Fuller who, Hey everybody who has uh, decided to make his voice be heard finally in in a in a video or a podcast um, I'm looking forward to... Yes.
1: Sticking to podcast for now.
0: Yeah. Sticking to podcast for now. Yeah. We'll do this on videos. Um, eventually. It'd be probably more fun to watch. Um, hoping to just discuss today more ways I not I we Dylan had asked what the structure of this podcast is and I just think it's really important for him to share his his story. Um when I had approached him and told him that he, after reading Dr. Hawkins' book, um, and I had approached him and told him that he needed to um, get some help, he, and he went on his YouTube journey. Um, I, I just think it's really important for him to share that experience and what that was like for him, um, just so that people know the reality of what, what research on narcissism looks like in today's society. So why don't you share a little bit about um, what that was like for you up to and including maybe um, validating or confirming things where you were like, this is me.
1: Okay. So I think Because that was a while back. Yeah, that was Um, like three and a half years ago. Yeah, I can... I think the one thing that really stuck out to me was that I was... You know, you had... You'd been using the word narcissist a lot. And it was a word that I was unfamiliar with. And I think it may have been after you had read Dr. Hawkins' book that... You may have have incorporated using that term with me. Narcissism. Pertaining to, like, the behaviors that I had. And so, I, you know, like, I suppose when I was in my wiser mind... To be
0: clear, I don't use the word narcissist. I use the word narcissism.
1: Narcissism, sure. So, in... For me, learning having to learn all that um was new information for me. And so yeah, like like you mentioned, I did go on YouTube. Um just to see if, you know, because YouTube is the the land of, of of questions answered, um, you know, that you could definitely find something about everything on how to do things on on YouTube. So I wanted to get some more information about it and um you know, I it was it was overwhelming initially because when I kind of did that did that research, the the majority, if not, I'd say about ninety percent of everything that's out there, is predominantly negative in regards to. Um, the outcome. The outcome of the you know, the the victim and the the narcissistic perpetrator. they if that's that if that's the correct term I could use. Um you know, everybody was saying you need to run, you need to leave, you need to you know, it's he they just are the narcissistic person, you know, leaves scorched earth and um, doesn't take any prisoners, is manipulative, conniving, lying, um, which they are all of those things. And, you know, every video that I ended up watching, I, I, I really left that situation feeling very hopeless and, and very discouraged about there really being any possibility of changing, you know, when you have other professionals or people labeling themselves as professionals on these YouTube videos saying, you know, that there's, there's no hope, there's, they're never going to change, you know, they're, they just move on to the next victim. Was, and there,
0: was there a particular... So, so there's overt narcissism and covert narcissism. Yeah. Was there a particular type of narcissism that you identified most with and why?
1: Well, the one that I, I identified the most with was covert um, narcissism. And that one is the less obvious one. You know, it's the one that... Because for me,
0: it's a pastor who's going to church and, you know, has a family of four kids and puts a smile on their face and kisses the babies and hugs the hugs the children and
1: prays for the friends.
0: Yeah, is outgoing and seems lively and attentive and digs deep into other people's lives and then goes home and just treats everybody like
1: kicks the dog garbage you know hurts the emotionally scars the kids uh, verbally abusive and unkind and yeah
0: covert because you would never know you would never guess
1: (laughs) yeah that's that is that is one thing about that that type of narcissistic behavior like that makes it really dangerous is that and, and and basically just manipulative on all levels because you are essentially creating like this chameleon or a facade to you other were. people I was that that's the one that I identify with because I you know it was always like you know I was covering my ass so that way if if you know when when you would get upset with me and you would tell me that I was out of line or doing this or doing that, other people, they wouldn't see that. And so they would, they would side with me. Um, and basically just, I could convince them that you were the crazy one. You were the one that was out of control and,
0: yeah,
1: you know, just manipulating every situation like that. And that's, and, you know, like I've done other research, too. It does definitely come from a place of having a very fragile ego. You know, I take things personal very quickly to have a very thin skin. Um,
0: this is nice. It's, it's nice for people to to hear about who you are and... Um, Of what goes on in the inner beings of somebody who struggles with covert narcissism,
1: yeah, I would imagine that most you guys in general like would agree with me that that are are that maybe do identify as um having (laughs) covert narcissistic behavior,
0: it's very rare, which is why this podcast is very rare because most people don't identify as having covert narcissism, but you do you're willing to brave the storm and say, I struggle with
1: this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I do want, I, I kind of want to, I want to believe that there is, that there is, um, that there is hope for me and that I, you know, can change the, you know, change those behaviors Um, change the way that I think, change ultimately the way that I act and, um, you know, do better as a functioning individual in society, both reflecting being the same person, essentially who I am in person, you know, with other people than I am in private you um, know having integrity having the integrity to be honest and real and and vulnerable and not being scared of of that of you know being, being vulnerable um you know and also not using other people's vulnerabilities against them or using them as a form of weapons to you know to use against them to um, to trap them, you know. There's just there's so much to the covert narcissism.
0: Scratching the surface and yeah. episode number two. But, um. So
1: yeah, I kind of left the, each situation watching each YouTube video, really feeling very discouraged about change and for their and and there to be to be to believe that there would be the possibility of being able to change those behaviors. So I remember a lot of times telling you, you know, Amber, I you know, I love you, I care about you, but you need to go. You need to run. You need we need we can't be together, like there's no hope for me. Like I this is this is how I'm going to be and And that was those moments were very difficult for me.
0: We We only saw this therapist a couple of times. You saw her more than I did. Um, There's a term called secondary abuse, which i definitely talk about in a future episode, but um, we stopped seeing this therapist because of secondary abuse. But this therapist had said something. um, One of the the good things that they had said that stuck out was that um, because Dylan had expressed this fear to them, and one of the good things that had stuck out was that that this person said was that we and again we identify as uh, christian believers and um if you don't that's fine and if you do that's great too but uh the therapist had said uh you know we serve a really really big god and there is nothing that god can't do for you and there's Mm -hmm. no change that god can't create for you and i think hearing that um, for me, it was encouraging and kind of had that light switch moment of, that's right, like, honestly, we all, you know, when we're two years old, we're narcissistic. We're little narcissistic two-year-olds running around just getting our needs met. And so we all have a little bit of narcissism in us. Um, but it's when you grow into an adult and you continue to have those patterns of behavior that... Um, that it becomes a problem. But when she had said this, I think it provided hope for both of us. Like David faced the Goliath, like he faced the giant and this was, this was your giant. This has been your giant. Yeah. Um, And he couldn't have done it without God. And um, if you don't believe in God, there's still hope for change. (laughs) Uh, I've seen people, I see people, people change all the time. Uh, that's literally the purpose of therapy. So, it's a hard diagnosis to change, but you can definitely change it. Um, anything is anything is changeable, and there's hope. No matter, no matter the diagnosis, whether it be narcissism or borderline personality or depression or anxiety. And, um, <laughs> it's funny because. Actually, depression and anxiety are some of the things that also are a part of a lot of people who have who, have, who struggle with narcissism. No, 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 narcissism.
1: narcissism. <laughs> add that as a quick little edit there, it's like a nice DJ edit.
0: Maybe add it as the No,
1: no, 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 narcissism you know like a little soundboard
0: yeah maybe we can have you do our intro and our outro um i uh i think it i would like to speak into like what it's like being on the receiving end of uh being with somebody who who has those covert narcissistic traits and um you know, feeling like you're stuck, like, for example, um, and Dylan, Dylan and I actually led a connect group at our church. We had, we had led a connect group for seven years and Dylan's always been open and honest about who he is and what his struggles are. Um, and so this ne- wasn't necessarily an issue that we had had. Um, because he, he was as he, at some point did start telling people. Um, but when he wasn't telling people what was difficult for me was, yeah, just feeling stuck, like great. He's going to call so-and-so and and they're going to think that this happened because he's going to twist the story, manipulate the story. And then this person's going to think that this is the way that it happened when, It didn't happen that way at all, and um, it just, it felt like no matter, it felt like no matter which, it just, I just felt really stuck, Um, you know, when you're, when you have overtly narcissistic traits, that's the person who um, is loud. They're loud about their narcissism, they're,
1: they don't have a, of fragile ego, to that's bruised. They have thick skin. They can take it, and they can just, you know, kind of act however, you know, however way they want to act. They don't care. They it. just don't care what you have to say. It's like they don't. They lose that part of their brain that I think, like when you get older, isn't that kind of how that goes? Your
0: frontal lobe.
1: Your frontal lobe, or whatever, you you kind of lose. It loses its function. So. As you get older, you kind of don't care about certain things or how. Not things... that older people are narcissists. No but... no, but I'm just saying in general, like that love, that degree of like concern, Ten. or Ten. yeah, just it just care goes right out the window. Yeah. Whereas for me, it's like I'm always feeling like I'm tiptoeing around situations, trying to make myself look appear like here, like that I'm in a better light. Yeah. than the reality of it because, I mean, there is some type of deeper
0: Something to hide.
1: thing that's like, uh, you know, either I have things to hide or, you know, if they saw me for this version of me, then they wouldn't love me or they don't, um, you know, whatever, whatever lie I would tell myself in order to be able to have to then fabricate this. Reality to make myself appear in a better light. Yeah. You know it's it's unfortunate.
0: <laughs> so it sucks. So I'm curious if you, you know, you're talking about how you struggle with, like taking things personally and um, have a, a really fragile ego, and one of the things that I think is important Important to bring up is how did we get here? Like, how did you get here? Like, um, as 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 a cov- as being somebody who struggles with covert narcissism, like, I mean, we can define narcissism. Uh, we can look it up. You can look it up on Google, and it'll talk to you. It'll tell you about a story about, uh, I think, the god of Nardin. God, god narcissist or something and he looked at himself in a lake and ended up drowning because he thought himself was so beautiful <laughs> so, Right. Uh, but
1: some Greek yeah, is mythology, I think mythology and... is,
0: where, is where the word comes from um, I might have completely botched that that ideology of the word narcissism but I'm not really concerned about the ideology of the word narcissism I'm concerned about the ideology of Dylan and how Dylan became who you are, what, what went into that, what, so I, and I can do a little bit of education here um, with the research, the extensive research that I've done. Generally, when you are dealing with somebody who has narcissistic uh, qualities, a lot of them, or the diagnosis of narcissism, you have somebody who is either or was either as a child overly loved or underly loved. And when you are a child who um, was underly loved, you were out for yourself, like you were out to fend for yourself, you were in survival mode, and you then go into adulthood and you continue in survival mode. And the only person that you are thinking about taking care of is you yourself and I, and mm-hmm. then you have the other end, the pampered child syndrome, sort of, sort of narcissism. Uh, Adler would refer to it as the pampered child, and um, Alfred Adler, who was one of the four founder founders of psychology, uh, not very many people know that, but he was. He said that the pampered child was the most disadvantageous child or they were in the most disadvantageous position and i saw that hanging above the sink when i went to adler and i didn't quite understand it until all of this unfolded in our relationship and once it did i was like oh oh, oh i get it now so and i think it it would be interesting if you shed light on um what what your what your childhood was like that created this pattern of behavior that you have in being a pampered child. What did being a pampered child look like for you? Uh,
1: Let's see. So... You know, I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I should maybe preface that I, you know, my, I, I kind of grew up poor. I mean, not that pampered necessarily has to mean that we grew up with a lot of money. Certainly not. Um, but, um, the degree to which I really got a lot of undivided attention from my mom, um, And, like, my mom's side of the family, my grandmother, my grandfather. Um, if you were around, you would definitely tell that I was definitely treated better than, um... The other kids. Than other kids. Um, am I... Am I... Maybe... I don't want to speak on behalf of my brother, so I won't. Um... But I will, I will just say that I do, um, I do know that, like, for example, like my first car was gifted to me, um, but I didn't take good care of it, and I totaled it. You know, uh, my brother bought his first car uh, on his own with money that he got from working, and, you know, he kept that car for a really long time you know so that's maybe uh, an example of the differences there between like you know the the me getting the type of treatment that I did and then the ultimate consequence of that being that like I ultimately didn't didn't appreciate the have to work for I didn't didn't have to work for much of anything um you know like a I don't know. Just getting that, getting like, and my, my parents were deaf, you know. So like, there were a lot of things that I, you know, that my that I could got I got away with, uh, with my parents being deaf when I was younger. Um, I just, you know, I I viewed a lot of these situations or the things that I was given as more or less like opportunities and things that I felt like I okay. deserved. Thanks. So, like, there was that sense of, of entitlement. Like, I, you know, like, birth order is very important to my mom. Um. So, being the firstborn, you know, she always referred to me as her the firstborn.
0: What were you going to say? What and was so, your Freudian slip going to be? I don't know. Maybe I saw a different word being formed on your on your mouth.
1: Maybe, but she always referred to me as your
0: fir- her first born her firstborn. Her firstborn what? Son. No. I don't know. Her baby.
1: Oh. I suppose. Yeah. Seeing that as an adult, it's like, come on, now, but you know. It just shows the, de- the degree of, like, um, excessive, I guess the term to use, pampering, that, you know, that I kind of received growing up, ultimately, really made me unprepared for a lot of the things, and, you know.
0: Would you agree that if Dylan wanted it, Dylan got it?
1: Um, for the most part. I would say so.
0: If there were the financial means to be able to get it,
1: if yeah. Dylan wanted
0: it. Dylan got it. I think so. Um,
1: yeah, I think so.
0: One of the things that that hit me really hard was, and a great example of this of of just how um, you can see narcissism play out is, I found out that Dylan had a hit and run. And uh, it was later on in our relationship that I had found that out. And I was like, what? Like, uh, so I think the story is that you were backing out of.
1: Backing out of somebody's driveway.
0: Backing out of somebody's driveway. And you, you tell the story.
1: I was at a, I was working at McDonald's at the time. And uh, usually after, after work. Because I worked the evening shift. Um, I, we would usually get done working and then we would usually go to somebody's house. And that's where people would either like go to drink, smoke, or just hang out in general. Like just, just, just hang out uh, after work. Yeah. And that was that, well, kind of like that after work party, sure. There wasn't that many a lot of people there, but, uh, so somebody had ordered pizza and, you know, had asked because of where, uh, you know, how I was parked in the driveway, if I could go and get it, you know, I said it was fine. I backed out and I had somebody else in the car with me and as I was backing out. I hit somebody's car and then I had, you know, just was like, oh shoot. And I just kept going. I went over to the place to the pizza place. And then I came back. And then when I came back, there were like well, I could see as I was kind of driving up the hill, as I was getting to the driveway, that there was like police officers, there everybody was outside and like it was like a main event. And
0: You just kept on driving
1: I was terrified. But I continued to deny that I had done it. And I told the guy in the, in the car with me to not say anything about it. And there was another person that had left just after me um, who then also got called back. And uh, police officers at the time tried to make comparisons. Like they tried to back up our cars next to the car that was hit, and somehow I got so lucky.
0: So lucky because so
1: unlucky. Well, I say you say unlucky, but you yeah, know I, I managed to get away with it because both cars had looked like it could have been either one that could have done it, and so You're nobody could really put any blame on it except uh, you. Except, yeah, and so I had just continued to, to deny it. And then after a couple months, there were no consequences. the, yeah, like she ended up having to, the person, the owner of their car, it was a brand new car that they had just bought. And they were pretty pissed that they ended up having to pay out of their own pocket to, um cover for the damages and everything. Um, Eventually, she later came to me and told me that the guy that was in the car with me later told her everything, Um, and I had, you know, I had apologized to her, Um, and she had, I guess, just forgiven me and just kept, we just kind of moved on after that.
0: I mean, that must have been, like, a year or two later. It was years after, yeah, because the consequence was all, it was already taken care of and gone. Like she had already put in the money into taking care of her car. And sometimes when you're dealing with somebody who has covert narcissistic characteristics, it's just easier to move on. Like if there's one thing I've learned, it's that when you're dealing with a narcissist who is not in their right mind, it's just not worth it. Like, mm-hmm. If they are in their right mind, then it is worth it. But if you're dealing with somebody who doesn't want to change, and who doesn't care about their behavior, it's just not worth it. And so, yeah, I forgive you. Goodbye. Like, yeah.
1: And you know, maybe you should explain what being in your right mind is, but I, you know, somebody who is. Who has you know? Who is walking in clarity, um, confidence, understanding? Somebody who's thinking very clearly. Somebody who's thinking, period. Um,
0: Mindful. Not somebody
1: who is like reacting to every situation.
0: Autopilot.
1: Somebody who has their yeah. Who has their their thoughts and everything kind of sit on a monotone autopilot version, but somebody who is like engaged and thinking clearly and is able to consider all information being given and, and, and still be able to, to produce, um, you know, information that's not, reactive
0: somebody who's connected to their core self
1: well that too i would say it probably needs some elaboration to. what does that mean to be in your core self you know somebody See, that, who's again grounded when i think and about
0: that i just think about that like that's a natural that's a that's natural for me to know what that means and to know what that is and that's not for me right so i don't When I think, wait, you need me to explain what it means to be connected to your core self, to be connected to who you are, it just is a, it seems odd to me that I would need to explain that. But you have learned what that means to be connected to your core self because you've been in a group called The Core. What does it mean to be connected to your core self? Right. I'm asking
1: Oh, I thought I answered that already.
0: Well your core self what is
1: that well your your core self is a version of yourself that is like grounded that is thoughtful mindful present engaged and just aware of everything going on like they have a good like sp- like spatial Weird. awareness of what's going on around them as well as information that's being like pers- you know processed around them too
0: good self awareness
1: yeah you just kind of have to be you can't leave things to autopilot you can't you know react to every single situation with a defensive response. It's, you know, really asking. You're like taking taking moments to process what's going on around you and giving yourself that time to process the information that's going on around you or maybe being communicated to you and then... Then you gener- generating a response to that in yourself and then kind of doing a lot of that, like, kind of editing almost in your head before, you're you're creating, before you create a response. So taking the time to do all of that. Yeah. And thinking, thinking ears
0: are an episode of their own,
1: too. Usually there's a lot of shooting from the hip. In regards to like how to how I how I chose chose to, to react and For respond to right. things, and it's usually you know it's usually really quick and it's it's not very thoughtful or it's not um, you know it just it comes out jumbled up or not organized or not present or a lot of different things. So you know it would be the opposite of choosing to respond in a way that is reactive or quick and you're as, taking the time to process everything.
0: And as you can imagine, like being in a relationship with somebody like that is, it gets very lonely. Like
1: you're, there's you're, no depth,
0: right? You're on the receiving end of nothing. Like you're, first of all, narcissistic people tend to seek out somebody who is overly responsible so that they can take care of the car that was crashed and they tend to seek out people who are empaths because narcissistic people who struggle with narcissism um generally like to have people who will feed their egos and um make them feel really great inside and heard and um, narciss- people who struggle with narcissism I think also will sometimes find project people so that they can be the hero in the story I saved them, I saved them from this situation or when really they, they didn't but um,
1: finding wounded
0: yeah, people who they can prey upon To take advantage of, Um, so as you can imagine, to
1: manipulate. uh,
0: For me, I was very lonely for years. Like there were, it it was very strange because there, Jekyll and Hyde is a very real thing, and um, I was on the receiving end of Dylan being. Completely present and uh, connected to his core self, to Dylan being completely reactive and emotionally abusive and not present. And it was just a very lonely experience for me. I was, in those times, I was very, I felt very, very lonely. Not alone. I knew I wasn't alone. I had lots of people around me who loved me. There's a difference between alone and loneliness. There was just nothing to connect to, and so um, it, I felt like I was always fighting for you to be connected to your core self. And I got to a point where I just decided I <laughs> I can't fight for that person anymore. You need to fight for that person. So um, um, that for me was a burden that I took off of myself when. When I had left you, when we had separated, mm-hmm. took 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 a freaking freaking long long while to get there, but we did get there. Um. I, sure. I brought up that car, that uh, hit and run situation because I just think it describes so beautifully the life of a pampered child uh narcissistic person not the unloved but the overly loved like um you basically get to do whatever you want and there are no consequences to any of your behavior or any of the things that you do uh, there's a situation where uh, do you mind if I share the story about what had happened a year a year into our marriage I mean people people know but
1: I mean that's fine yeah I mean... <laughs>
0: Kind of tell-all. Yeah. Uh, there's a situation uh, that happened about a year into our marriage when we had had our oldest. He was about four months old, and Dylan had disclosed to me that he had had an affair and was lying to me about uh, sex addiction, and, which is also common with narcissism from uh, the, what you have found in the groups that you've been in, but yeah. um, that you that you struggled with having a sex addiction, which I was passionate about and did my research project on before marrying you and wanted to clarify with you that you did not have issues with this and you up and down swore no I have no issues with this at all and I went away on a on a trip to watch my brother get married and came back and there was porn on a computer and you swore up and down it wasn't you and it was but you know me and my Nyad, trusting. Nyad, yeah, trusting. Yeah, you know, I'd like to call it trusting, hoping for the best, uh, thinking of the best. I believed you, and um, so, in a year into our marriage, <clears throat> we had found out that you had had this affair, um, with this person who also I think was easy to take advantage of, um, and the response that we received from. Uh, the uh some of the people who raised you was uh what is Amber's problem. Uh um, it, it may be more effective for you to describe the response that was given or the the I don't know consequence to that situation natural consequence to that situation to describe your upbringing, and just what it was like for you in that situation. It sh- it showed up.
1: I don't understand your question.
0: So my question is, what did you observe when we had informed those that brought you up, that raised you, that you had had an affair on me? Right, not necessarily your parents, but... Your dad wasn't there.
1: No. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty damning. Um, and I don't want to... I don't really want to be on here... No. ...talking too much about... No. ...my it, parents. And
0: that's not the intent. The intent is more to describe what your experience was.
1: Well, I mean, it was very much like... Don't worry about it. Just brush it off. Like, and and a lot of times there were, like, justifications being made for me in regards to that. You know, some people were like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, so I'm just, and for me, I could just, I essentially just kind of piggybacked off of a lot of the, quote, support Um, that I got from people for cheating on your wife even though I was very clearly in the wrong by doing that by having an affair um, it was very twisted and very dark because it's I don't know what type of thinking that is but you almost like even if me like just trying to think about it right now I kind of just feel uncomfortable I feel unsettled and uneasy about about that
0: the way you feel unsettled and uneasy about what
1: like knowing that there was a point where I was able to like almost compartmentalize those justifications and even though there was like my conscience that was telling me no this is wrong this is not okay like completely ignoring that conscience or in this case it would have potentially have been like the Holy Spirit just you know warning me or saying hey like this is like this is the part of which you have to take responsibility for and except the consequences of, you know, the natural consequences of, of doing this in your marriage, of having the infidelity in your marriage. and It was crazy.
0: It was crazy. It was crazy when, I, when I think back on that time, I think about how, like, I was sitting in the closet at my parents' house begging you to like be in your right mind and like, come home and reminding you that you had a four-month-old son and um it was around easter time you you disclosed me on good friday which we we had traditionally celebrated because it's a day of restoration and reconciliation but um for us (laughs) for us it's a good thing like for us it has obviously at the time it wasn't a good thing but it grew in to be a, a good day for us it was a day of depth of deepening and of reconciliation but with each other but um, for me I just I think about how I was in this closet begging you to come home and you know like why would you why would you not fight Dylan what's going on like why are you not fighting for your marriage but yeah. like I had to fight for you to fight and Found out later on that your um, that you had gone out, and your way of coping was to get drunk at Olive Garden for Easter. <laughs> um, I don't know. It was it, it was just a a very crazy time. And then we found out later on, you had told me that the only reason you came back was because you had a meeting that you needed to go to. And had you not gone to that meeting, you were afraid that you were going to go to jail. And so, for me, that was difficult to hear. That oh, okay, so you didn't actually come back for me or your son. But I do know that in your heart of hearts, you did come back for me and your son. Um, it's just very difficult and hard for you to take
1: responsibility. Yeah, for, for that. you
0: to, to face to face the giant. It's the music, yeah. Yeah. That, it, it's, um, yeah, it's just so, it's just so opposite of who I am. And I think that's, no, I think that's normal. I think, you know, I think that that is, um, what's the term, term for it? Um, where our, our worlds collide and,
1: Opposites attract. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, opposites attract, and um, just being overly responsible, I mean, for me, it was definitely a struggle, again, of having such a tight grip on trying to save something that wasn't my responsibility to save, and I wish I would have known then what I know now, um, because as a result of that, I, I mean, at, well, at the end of the day, it's as a result of your behavior, but as a result of the way that I handled it, you know, I have dealt with chronic pain, I've dealt with sickness, I've dealt with stress, I've dealt with just a lot of crap that I haven't needed to deal with. And of course that thinking for me has come from my own childhood stuff that I might talk about at some point, I don't know, but. Um, yeah I think I think that sharing the story about the hit and run and sharing the story about you know you cheating on me and the reaction being literally like oh what's Amber's problem like why does Amber have a problem with you cheating on her um, gives a really clear picture as to the upbringing like your your um, the lack of consequences that you had yeah. as a as a, as a child and mm.
1: very much lacking consequences.
0: Boundaries. I know in your group you guys work on boundaries and it reminds me of boundaries, like lacking yeah, lacking boundaries. Here's here's what you're allowed to do, here's what you're not allowed to do. So when you get out into the real world and then you are in a relationship with a person, you find yourself, you know. I don't know how you found yourself.
1: Winging it. <laughs> you <laughs> wing it all. Every single thing. It was never like Yeah, everything was always like just you'll figure it out as you go along and, you know, you just were along for the ride and that, you know, I mean, it's a way of looking at things but it's definitely not the the best way or the wisest or the smartest or the, um, you know, the path that It just, yeah, like I, it was just such a destructive path to take that if I would, you know, if I could turn back time, I wish that I really had thought before making a lot of the decisions that I have made regarding everything, like taking care of that, 1988 Ford Taurus that my parents gave to me, and not you know acting entitled, or for me to take responsibility for that accident. Um, after coming back uh, for picking up the pizza,
0: just small things. You like know,
1: just small things like that, which ultimately those are
0: big things. What I mean are small things like telling the truth as a kid with deaf parents.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So.
0: When you just like to have a real moment, when you say these things right now, how do you feel?
1: Well, like I'm... I'm kind of, I'm a little tired because I... I'm just kind of working a lot, been working a lot, Um, but with sharing a lot of this, I think that it's, it's helpful to, to get it out of my system because I think it's a lot of things that I have really felt like I've been walking around with the majority of my life. And a lot of the times, um, you know, to, to a certain point, I could kind of say that I was ignorant to a lot of it because I didn't know n- what narcissism was. I didn't, there wasn't names to certain things that now we have names to, like thinking errors and being in my right mind and all of that stuff. It. Passive it violence. seems like it, um, like if there's finally answers to all of that and there's words to put to those behaviors and, um, it is refreshing to
0: kind of freeing,
1: and freeing to, to be able to talk about it in a way that, and it's in a way normalizes it. And that's kind of my, what I want to do with this is, is to normalize it so that way somebody so else, what? well, like,
0: normalize talking about talking it, talking
1: about it, like, really pushing the envelope in regards to like getting myself. It. It's helping me because it's getting myself out of, you know. Being in that fragile ego state and being in a position where, you know, I can eventually develop a thicker skin um, and get more comfortable with taking responsibility uh, for behaviors that ultimately hurt people and...
0: Uh, episode 2.2 2. <laughs> don't know what happened there don't to leave to go get our little one um, but I think he was I know that he was trying to describe that um, the truth sets him free and he feels free um, and regardless of what your religious beliefs are shame dies when stories are told in safe places and um, him and I both, when we're doing this, it's just him and I, and so we just naturally feel safe. Um, and uh, so, the truth will set you free comes from the Bible, but shame dies when stories are told in safe places. That comes from just life. That's um, a life. I, I don't remember who said it, but somebody famous said it, and <laughs> it probably wasn't their original thought. We will never trace back the original thought of whoever said that, but. Um, I, um, wanted to end this podcast by just encouraging people to reach out for help again. If, if you feel that urge, if you feel empowered, um, if you feel like you might be struggling and you need somebody to talk to, um, Dylan is not only happy to, but feels purpose in talking to people about things that he's gone through and what he struggled with. And you know what? We're all human. Like Dylan and I certainly aren't perfect. Dude, we're separated. Like we're certainly not perfect. And, um, we are working through our own stuff, but we are also on this journey together. And all we can do is support one another. And, um, I know that that's his heart and that's my heart and um he just really enjoys talking to people and helping them process through things as do I I'm a therapist so (laughs) um I uh shoot as he was talking I was gonna I was going to um I was gonna bring up one last point and I can't remember what it was I, w- I really wanted to make that touch point of just wrapping wrapping it up and being real and how it feels to talk about these things and um for me it feels uh it feels purposeful I know that's what i that's what it was um, this podcast has been something that um, Dylan and I have been trying to do, like I had said in podcast episode number one, for the last year and a half, and um, the devil, or the earth, or whatever you believe in, we believe in the devil, the devil has fought so hard to detour us from creating this podcast like it has taken a year and a half for Dylan and I to sit down just now and create our very first podcast together um and <laughs> i might cry for that i am um for that i am victorious um so and thankful because uh, it's been a journey, and uh, we just want to we just want to give hope we want to provide hope and uh, let people know that they're not alone um, I've talked personally I've talked to so many women who have been in my shoes and um, I don't ever want I don't ever want people to feel like they have to sit in that alone. Um, And I know that Dylan also has talked to people who have struggled and I don't want people to struggle with having to have those patterns of behavior alone. Like your behaviors come from your thoughts, your thoughts lead to your feelings, your feelings lead to your actions, and those thoughts can change. Um, If you're struggling with negative, negative thoughts, like those negative thought patterns can change, leading to positive behaviors one of the things that we refer to it as is creating a new seam. So if Dylan has this narcissistic outburst, um, he'll do um, this apology that he had learned in the group that he was in. And then it's just create a new seam. Okay. It's done. It's over with. Now it's time to create a new seam. And uh, so uh, yeah, I just, I feel very thankful that we, um, We finally did it. We finally sat down together for an hour and um, talked about the important stuff. And uh, he's my best friend, guys. Like, he spent the night at my house on Monday night, slept on the couch because I was, I have a spinal cord injury. And I have been so weak and felt so physically ill. And he did not feel comfortable leaving me alone. And I didn't feel comfortable being left alone, so he slept. He he slept over and spent the night on the couch. Um, he yeah, he's he's he shares these things about himself, and um, kind of. And he would refer to him as this way too, like he refers to it as the Hulk that lives within, but there's a person in there. And that's why I keep saying that. Um, it's because he, like, we, I can't remember who sings the song, Beautiful Creatures, but we're all created beautifully, and, um, he has a beautiful soul, and, uh, those might those those are things he struggles with and also and also ampersand he's an amazing he's an amazing guy who uh doesn't mind picking up picking up a uh picking up a i don't know lawnmower and not picking up we have a riding lawnmower but getting on the lawnmower and mowing the lawn or picking up my meds for me tonight is what he did, um, on his way home. So I want you to know too, that if you are somebody who feels like you're struggling with narcissistic qualities or traits, like you're not a bad person. You're certainly not a bad person. Um, you're a beautiful person. And, um, I'm certainly not condoning any abusive behaviors, but what I am doing is telling you that you're created in the image of God. and um, God is God is perfect, God is beautiful and if you don't believe in God, you're still perfect and beautiful, just the way you are. So um, we all have change. We all have we all have our stuff. and uh, is it okay to be emotionally abusive? Absolutely not. Is it okay to be physically abusive? Absolutely not. And also, it doesn't define who you are as a person. And the more we can, the more we can help other people believe that, the more it breaks down narcissism, honestly, because it's all about low self-esteem and feeling like, feeling fear of failure and feeling like you can't do anything right and you got this. So with that, I bid you adieu to episode number two. Thank you for listening. Um, It was still kind of a hot mess and we appreciate your patience while we uh, navigate through this podcast experience. Our mission is not to make Our mission is not to make monies. (laughs) Certainly not. Our mission is to just be real and uh, help people find hope. So, all right. Have a good evening.